Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Drunken PM Radio. I would like to thank projectmanagement.com for sponsoring the podcast. And today I have a very distinguished guest. PMI fellow Ian Frazier is here. We're going to talk about his book and some other stuff that's kind of happening in the project management space. And we're going to talk a little bit about value and some other things as well. So Ian, thank you for taking time out of your, it's afternoon for you, right? Or evening? It's uh, hi Dave. Yeah, look, thanks very much indeed. And you're dead right. It's afternoon. It's a very sunny afternoon. It's kind of late in the afternoon. So on Friday too, I might add, at the end of the week. So uh, all good. All so good. it won't keep yeah. you too long because I'm sure you've got better things to do than be on the podcast <laughs> on a Friday night. Um, <laughs> so before we go into the the book, um, how would you describe your background, or how do you introduce yourself to folks who who are not familiar with you? Yeah, look, good question, you know, and, and I guess there's a short version, a longer version too, so I'll not bore you with the longer version, but kind of short version really is, you know, and, and I guess, you know, looking at the intended audience of the podcast, uh, Dave, I guess let's focus it around what I call the P3 profession, uh, which which is portfolio program and project management type profession and related things. Um, I was a bit of a, a late starter, you know, sort of came to the profession, um, you know, somewhat accidentally. So, so I'm very typical of that so-called accidental project manager. And uh, this was back in the UK and Scotland, in fact, where I grew up, of course, and, and was educated and, and spent some of my early working career. I got employed by a company called Brown and Root, which is um, and still are an American-based organization, uh, giant sort of engineering constructors. Uh, and they were heavily involved in the North Sea oil and gas sector at the time. And uh, I came out of um, university with, with a diploma and uh, they picked me up and put me on what they called a management development program, which was not that I knew at the time to be perfectly honest, but, but which actually proved to be the trigger for what was to become, you know, a project management career for me. And uh, so that management development program was when I was, what, 24, 25 years old and kind of, look, to be honest, kind of wandering about in terms of I didn't really know what I wanted to to do from a career point of view. I um, I thought I was going to be an engineer and spent a couple of years studying that and only to realize that nah, that's not for me um, and bombed out of that and went into a structural steel environment, uh, kind of went hands on in there and actually quite enjoyed that. But then realised I needed to um, to do something else. So um, so so look, it started with Brown and Root, and then uh, you know all my early training was via them, and my uh, you know early exposure to giant projects, big budgets, and and of course the actual art of project management and contract management in particular um, allowed me to gain some knowledge and a, a little bit of skill, I suppose. Um, and then, you know, sort of work, began to work around the world, had some opportunities to do that, uh, and then ended up in New Zealand, where um, really lots of opportunities began to open up in front of me in New Zealand in terms of the uh, portfolio program and project management career. And I should actually maybe turn that around the other way, because it was project, then it became program, and then I actually had the good fortune to um, be involved in some portfolio work. Um, and uh, that took me into establishing a company and building that, taking that global. Uh, in parallel with that, a bit of a PMI career that I think you're familiar with as well. So, <laughs> you should mention um, that you were the chair. Well, I was. Look, and and you know, again, one never sets out to do uh, or become you know the global chair of of, of PMI. 
Um, you know, it was kind of, you know, coincidental. It was fortunate. And, and look, there was, I, I'll admit, there was a little bit of luck in it as well, to be honest. Um, but I did get heavily involved as a founding member of uh, PMI chapter in New Zealand. And, uh, you know, I saw a huge correlation between what PMI at the time were, were, were promoting and, and, and offering uh, in terms of learning and sport, et cetera, et cetera, and what I was actually doing in terms of earning a salary. So I got very, very involved uh, in a volunteer capacity, and uh, that kind of opened up other channels, actually. Uh, before I knew it, I was a regional mentor, um, and then I got involved in some board of directors' special projects, I think we called them at the time, which took me to the board of directors' nominations committee, and then uh, I remember at a congress in the USA one time, a few people tapped me on the shoulder and said, ever thought of running for the PMI board? Um, which the short answer was no. Should I? <laughs> Could I? Can I? Am I good enough? Yeah. All those types of questions, you know, and, uh, and, and the rest they say is history, you know. So, uh, um, and, and, you know, Dave, I look back on that now and was it a highlight? Well, of course it was, you know, and not everybody gets... To, to lead such a dynamic, huge, influential organization. But I think I look back a bit further and think a bit longer, and I realized that I was actually heavily involved with the board for six years, and three years prior to that, so nine, almost 10 years in total, Yeah. Um, uh, during a period that PMI had decided to go global. And, uh, and, and so there was huge growth, uh, massive amounts of excitement, uh, a few speed wobbles too, I might admit, um, and I don't think anybody in PMI would would uh, be annoyed at me for saying that. There were certainly some speed wobbles. You know, you can't move and grow so quickly as PMI did without, yeah. you know, some speed wobbles coming along the way. And so, uh, you know, the, the the CEO and the leadership team at the time sort of managed that aspect of it, and and the board really focused on. Uh, you know, putting in a robust strategy and, and making sure that the governance aspects were, were you know, rock, rock solid, as it were. Yeah, fantastic. You know, it was such a learning experience. It was such an exciting experience. We worked tremendously hard as volunteers, but gosh, we had a bit of fun too, you know, uh, along the way, which was important, I think. So I want to, I, mm. just for the folks listening, we kind of have an outline for the conversation, but I want to step sure. to the side of it for a second just because of the things you just said. When I talk about volunteering and the impact that it's had on my career and my ability to do my job, I mean, I get kind of like almost teary about some of the things with the impact that it's had. And I always say that it's more valuable than my MBA or anything else that I've done. Um, how how deeply did, did your volunteering impact or influence your ability to be successful in this field? Oh look, Dave, that, that's that's a, a, a good question, and it's a pretty deep question. And, and to me, it's similar. It changed my life, actually. To be perfectly honest, uh, you know, I think I touched on earlier that, you know, I was mid twenties, early twenties. I was drifting around. I, I didn't really have a vision or a plan, or I didn't really know what I wanted to do, um, to be honest. And then I, as I said, in very quick succession, ended up, um, you know, within within I think it was. I don't know, five to 10 year period, I ended up developing project management as a capability, uh, getting some, you know, hard yard experience, you know, um, actually being involved in project teams and a project controls environment was where I started out. Nowadays, we call them PMOs, etc. But it was kind of project controls environment. Uh, and then, you know, I remember 
uh, running my own project as 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 a leader um, with a team, and 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 we were successful, you know, as a team and. Uh, in terms of what we are, were asked to do, and, and then just opened up other opportunities. So, I mean, it really did change uh, my life. And then when I saw a business opportunity to create a company that focused on, you know, some services built around the P3M profession, I call it, uh, again, you know, that proved to be very successful, very timely for my part. Yeah. And uh, I think all because I had this kind of, you know, foundation, as it were, of... Uh, Understanding not just PMI, not just being a PMI member, being a, a, an active member in terms of volunteering, but also trying to learn as much as I possibly could in in, uh, in, in a given space of time. Yeah, you know, it truly transformed my my life actually. Cool. Yeah. So thank you. You know, almost almost TDI, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that um, I'm glad to hear you say because to me, it's it's been so influential. I mean, you talked about you know all the stuff that you learned, but like the network of people globally that you have that you can call on in all the different industries and stuff, I think is incredibly valuable. I, I agree. Um, and and you know, there's some people I remember meeting way back in my first year's uh, experience with with PMI. I think that's would you believe that's 25 years ago now. Who I still meet and, and I'm in contact on a fairly regular basis, you know, um, yeah. which I think is astonishing, and and I don't think there's many other associations or, or networks that you know give you that le- length and, and and depth and breadth of uh, of connection with people in all sectors in all corners of the world. Actually, yeah. it's just really very very special, you know. Yeah. And again, you know, I, I feel very humbled and, and very honoured that. You know, a, a chap from the Highlands of Scotland, um, <laughs> you know, who was drifting around in his early 20s, um, ended up being um, the chair of the board at a hugely pinnacle period yeah. uh, for, for PMI as they decided to go from US-centric to uh, become a global organization. Yeah. yeah. It's a big, it was a lot of change. Well, um, I want to switch gears. We want to talk about the book because that's, that's the main focus sure. of the, of the interview today. So the book is called the business of portfolio management and how would you summarize it and, and kind of who your intended audience is? Look, the book is, uh, to summarize, and I have two questions here. The first question, the book is really uh, a book for what I call the modern business world. Uh, that would be my elevator pitch, uh, I suppose, in a sense, Dave. Um, I think going a bit deeper than that, it's a book that is really, in my head at least, one of the voices tells me that it's a book is designed to promote and advocate for a wider and uh, more business-oriented use for portfolio management. Um, not project portfolio, but actually true portfolio management. Um, and I guess the last thing to maybe add in there, it's a book of change. Uh, in other words, uh, it's kind of focused around, as you well know, a fast-changing environment. I call it the VUCA world. Yeah. Other people call it the VUCA world. And it's a book that's designed to, to, to allow organizational leaders to adjust their organizations and get themselves nimble or agile is uh, you know another word that uh, is used of course so <laughs> overused all over the place and, and yeah. it's kind of used in, in, in many different formats which i'm sure we'll get on to talking about uh, um so really that was the intended uh, that, that's the structure of the book the vision of the book if you prefer okay um, the intended audience really is uh, pretty much anybody in in the business world uh, anybody in the p3 uh, am portfolio program project management uh, fields 
Um, and, and particularly, though, I think uh, leaders, uh, okay. organizational leaders, whether it's for profit or non profit, um, organizational leaders who are uh, perhaps looking for a structured path of ideas to combat, you know, this fast changing world that we're we're seeing um, in the 21st century. Mm. So I'm going to ask you a question about change since you mentioned that a moment ago, and maybe this can be a way to, to, to get into an explanation of what VUCA is for the folks who aren't familiar. But I had, I had dinner the other night with a, a colleague, and we were talking about you know organizations that are trying to move to Agile or they're trying to reinforce their waterfall process or traditional process somehow. And they need, you know, as you described, this ability to be nimble. And we kind of went down this path where it seemed to me to be heading in a direction that any organization that's going to continue to exist, the focus is not necessarily on a process like traditional or agile, but it more on how do you make this constant virus-like ability to change part of your DNA? Like that's just what you do every day you change. Um, do you think that that is, is that something that's, that's coming that, that, that they have to become that, that flexible and that nimble? Look, I, I, I... The short answer, Dave, is yes, and and uh, I I think there's a bit of, and you'll probably know yourself as as many of the listeners will. There's a lot of rhetoric around the use of the word agile, and it gets kind of confused, I think, and and, and mistrued somewhat. Uh, I I think nimble is is a nice, or adaptive is probably another nice word to use than nimble. I I, I think the 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 changes that are about to, to um, uh, come at us all, both in our professional lives as well as even in our family and social lives, I, I think are going to be so dramatic that it's going to make us all think um, uh, a little bit differently, particularly in a, an organizational business environment where it's not about processes and tools and techniques and philosophy and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. It's more about... Uh, as an organization, how can we continue to focus on what we do and we're good at? What do we need to add to that in order to remain competitive or, or remain in existence? And, uh, and and what if that doesn't work? Um, what do we need to do then, um, et cetera, et cetera? Those to me are, are, are examples of being nimble as an organization, i.e. looking forward and uh, being very quick to assess a situation uh, and, and, and take advantage of an opportunity or opportunities that might uh, that might arise. At, at the same time, managing the classic things of risk, et cetera, et cetera, at a business level. Obviously, all of that manifests itself down through portfolio program and project management activities as well. I, I, I think the, so it's almost a, philosophy, Dave, you know, if you like the philosophy of lean, you know, which came out of the Japanese uh, manufacturing sector, you know, some years ago, um, and, you know, masqueraded in various products for a while, which I shouldn't mention, because I'll probably get into trouble. (laughs) But the the philosophy of lean, I think, has been able to move quickly to reduce waste and to move at speed and deliver at speed. You know, I mean, I'm paraphrasing that. I think that as a philosophy for the VUCA world is a, a fantastic philosophy. It means that we're adaptive. It means that we're nimble. It means that we're receptive to a changing environment and we embrace it, as you, as you rightly said. Yeah. Okay. So how does that reconcile with your background in traditional project management? Because a lot of that structure is in place to kind of minimize the ability to, for things to go 
Oh, yeah, look, and, and let's come back to that. Maybe we should I just, should just qualify the uh, or explain the VUCA uh, acronym. Yeah, that would be just good. While, it, while, it's, uh, while you mentioned it here a couple of minutes ago. Um, the VUCA, well, it's not my term. It's a term that has been around for, for a while. I think it's probably had its origins in the USA military at some point um, and, and then kind of disappeared and then it's kind of resurfaced a little bit. It, it's an acronym and it stands for uh, Volatile, uh, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Uh, so hence the VUCA. And uh, if you go again back to those four words, you know, uh, volatile, well, we're certainly seeing examples of volatility around the world, uh, not necessarily on a military environment, although we've seen that as well, but volatility from a geopolitical point of view, volatility in, uh, in areas of the world that traditionally have been very, um, uh, you know, safe or considered safe. And as it were, we're seeing, you know, a sort of right wing shift or far right or hard right shift and, and, and interesting things. You know? I think we're also seeing, uh, despite some uh, people in the world claiming otherwise. I think we are seeing, uh, you know, uh, environmental climatic things happening uh, that sh should give us some concern. Um, we're seeing, you know, globalization, non-globalization. We're, we're seeing and uh, aspects of trade and, and, and trade barriers being talked about. And then, of course, uh, the big one, which is the kind of technology advances, you know, yeah. not just through artificial intelligence or augmented reality, but other things bundling around that. Now, our media tend to kind of make a big thing about technology advances, and, and perhaps so they should. But I, I think, to me, any leader should be thinking about not just technology, but thinking about technology and the changes in technology in this uncertain geopolitical environmentally changing um uh, world that we're that we're now seeing post um you know post uh, 20th century uh, so that's a kind of VUCA thing um going back to your question dave um you might just need to rephrase that again for me just so i catch it all so, could you could, could so you do that yeah me, so a lot of organizations i mean especially people that come to my classes it's all about let's let's switch over to agile or or they're mm. doing some kind of hybrid thing and sure. this conversation i was having the other night i'm kind of coming around to the maybe the personal opinion and i guess i'm wanting to check in with you on it that that what an organization needs to become is not something that is necessarily agile or waterfall or bimodal or some hybrid thing, but an entity that is in a constant state of change. And that if you're building muscles into the organization, the muscles you're building are that today we're this, tomorrow we're that, so the next day we're going to be something completely different. Um, because the only thing you know is that your survival depends on your ability to transform into something else the next day. I think there's a couple of ways of approaching that, Dave, and it's a deep question, actually. Um, I think what you're what you're highlighting really is perhaps some organisations are maybe struggling to adapt in a manner that is sustainable for them, in terms of boosting organisational value, for example. I, I, to me personally, and and this is a personal view I had with you know giving it some thought. Um, which I tend to do on certain things when I'm up in the air at 36,000 feet <laughs> flying from one country to the next to do something. You know, you have a lot of time to think and reflect. Uh, once you've seen all the films that are on offer three or four times. You know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, look, um, to me, I think the whole rhetoric around waterfall versus agile is just out of control almost. Um, and I get a little bit 
frustrated by it. Not maybe not frustrated, but a little bit sort of. Uh, uh, well, it's like a religious argument. Yeah. Well. Well. Yes, it could be. Um, and and I think to me, any organization and, and any more importantly, any organizational leader, uh, whether it's a PMO leader, an EPMO leader, or a program or portfolio or even a project management leader, the argument or discussion is not about should we pick this or that. The argument is what base does an organization what set of tools and combinations of tools or techniques can we use uh, to best effect, uh, you know, delivery of business objectives? And those in turn, you know, realize benefit and those in turn creates value back to the organization. Uh, to me, that is the whole thing about, um, you know, the where the focus should be on every single leader manager today. I think, as I said, some of the rhetoric around waterfall versus agile and the arguments about this and that, and some people claiming that waterfall is purely linear. Well, you know, I trained in this by a fantastic company who very quickly opened my mind to say how iterative it, it actually is as you go through certain phases. So whilst you might um, you know, spend a lot of time thinking, considering, and, and and challenging particular approaches. What you end up up with is an ideal, optimized path from A to B, but also recognizing that hey, look, if if steps A to B don't work, then uh, you stop and rethink. You know, get it, get in a group huddle, rethink, um, and set off again in some way. So you know, to me, that's adaptive. It's iterative. And, you know, I, I, I kind of um, um, it kind of just raise my eyebrows, uh, you know, the whole discussions about waterfall versus agile, because it's not about one or the other. Yeah. Um, it, it's actually about, as I said, it's about what best do we need to do uh, in order for our organization to uh, maintain, um, you know, a performance level or increase a performance level in a very fast changing environment, Dave, you know, to me, that's where the focus should be. And that's where the conversation should be, you know. Okay. So if I am somebody who's getting into this field, like if, if mm -hmm. you know, if you were back at the age of 26 or whatever, just getting, kind of getting your feet into this, mm -hmm. um, you mentioned early in the, earlier in the interview the you know the art of project management is how you refer to it and and I I completely agree with that phrasing but I think that when you start most PMs don't have that they need to find something they can follow and kind of master one technique before they learn another and when they start to master the one that's the only way you can do everything I mean how would you what kind of guidance would you offer somebody who's getting their feet into project management now in terms of what tools do you need to learn and, and in what order? Because you can't learn them all at once. Yeah, that's true, Luke. Um, and, and you certainly can't learn them all at once. So, you know, it's a case of, well, what's really important? I, I think first and foremost, it's, uh, I think any project portfolio program um, uh, practitioner should first and foremost seek to get an understanding of, you know, their organization and what their organization is actually trying to achieve in terms of its uh, its vision and its strategic goals and, and, and uh, the downstream business objectives. Um, I think having a really deep, clear understanding of what that is goes a heck of a long way to um, um, allowing that person, he or she or them, to begin then to 
uh, visualize how they might be able to contribute towards those things by doing what they're asked to do on a daily basis. So that's point number one. I think uh, just bringing out the art of project management a bit more, Dave, I think, you know, certainly a reflection in, in, in my career would be the development and, and emphasis being put on communication, stakeholder management, you know, influence, storytelling, all that sort of the so-called soft or where called the soft skills of 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 of, um, of the profession, yeah. uh, as opposed to the so-called hard hard skills. You know, how do you do risk? How do you do? How do you write a contract? How do you plan? How do you schedule? How do you do in value? Uh, how do you do scope management? All that good stuff. You know, um, I think there's a place for all of that, um, but it's not necessarily in the first two or three um, of the priority list that you uh, referred to. I think the first thing, as I said, is you know what's the organization trying to achieve second thing getting some of those soft skills um, and then the third thing was you know keeping a very open mind about you know uh, flexibility and adaptability yeah. and 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 maybe a fourth thing not getting trapped and by getting sucked into a waterfall versus agile conversation because that's not the conversation to be having it's a conversation a lot of people like to have but to me it's it's as we look at the 21st century and look at the VUCA world it, it's not really a conversation that's going to help people, uh, you know, benefit from uh, and, and not going to help organizations benefit from, uh, you know, new working approaches uh, in this in this VUCA world. Yeah, it kind of makes me wish that there was maybe not a certification, but some kind of program that was going to teach you all the kind of traditional stuff, all, a bunch of different agile practices, a lot of lean stuff, but not we're going in this direction or that direction, just like here's all the tools. Go figure out what to use where. Yeah, and, and you know, that raises, yeah, look, gosh, you know, we could spend days talking yeah. about this. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> we're, I'm, I'm winding my way back yeah. to the portfolio side of things. I just got yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. lost in the no, run. Good. And, 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 you know, one thing I've observed um, in, in recent years is, you know, as the project management uh, profession continues to gain momentum, I, I, I think there's an element of risk beginning to surface and, and, and some fractions or factions, I should say, um, you know, are coming out with these methodology-rich um, processes that you know have a certification, um, and uh, the certification is is gained by answering a, a certain number of questions from a, an open book type of exam. You yeah. know, and I'm, I'm maybe sounding a little bit cynical when I say this, but I th I'm thinking to myself, well, where is the value in that? You know, what actual contribution is not making other than perhaps everybody's using a consistent language or maybe a consistent a consistent template you know but it's so low level that you know it's it, it's not even at a mid-management level it's even yeah. below that you know it, it, and and you know so things like that to me sort of irritate me a little bit because uh, you know i can see the profession has got so much potential to you know add so much value to each and every organization in every single country, in every single sector. Um, but we kind of shoot our, our own, ourselves in our own feet by, uh, and, uh, the, you know, the collective we, by getting sucked down to these kind of process-centric certifications and discussions that, you know, don't really, you know, don't really have such an important place in a yeah. fast-changing world, you know. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't prove anybody's ability. They just prove they passed 
whatever they can task. Read. Yeah, <laughs> they, can they, read. Read. <laughs> they can read. They can read. Retype what they were told to type. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Again, we're bound to get in trouble with this. Yeah, so. I think we should leave that one there. Sure, um, but let's let's talk about about portfolio level and and one of the things I wanted to ask you about was value because I know that that mm-hmm. is sort of a big topic for you and it's one of your concerns with agile, which is a concern of mine as well. Is that that is what I tell people in my classes that the agile space hasn't totally figured out how to quantify it, but how would you describe or how do you break down value at the portfolio level? And if you can explain maybe how that filters down to execution level too, that would be really cool. Yeah, look, thanks, Steve. Excellent, uh, excellent points. And and I, I think you're right. I get very excited about, you know, the the, the, the real potential of, of portfolio management um, uh, in, in, a, in a business use space not a project portfolio uh, environment, which you know a lot of people tend to comment on and, and, uh, and, and uh, talk about. To me, first of all, portfolio management is, is to me the way we do business. That's my pretty basic uh, definition. And, and when we break down this is the way we do business, what I mean by that is the blending of OPEX and CAPEX together. Uh, so in other words, a philosophy is we're delivering more of the right things. Uh, so the question immediately then is, well, how do you know what's right and what's not right? So that's where I think uh, the notion of value starts to feature a lot more, uh, again, at a macro level as opposed to a you know micro level. And I think the notion of value says, well, you know, okay, if we want to deliver more of the right things by blending OPEX and CAPEX, then we need to understand what I call and refer to as the continuum of investment, okay? At what point do we open one tap a little bit more and close one tap a little bit further? Uh, Not ever fully opening or fully closing one or the other taps, but always adjusting those taps either side of the continuum as you balance between OPEX investment and CAPEX investment and uh, runner organizations. The idea is we're hunting for value uh, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we're looking to deliver value, not just internally to our uh, to our uh, organization, but also externally to you know shareholders and other stakeholders that uh, that may be interested in that. So if, if, you're, if you're kind of happy with that sort of framing, it kind of raises the question as, what is value? What actually is it? And, and when I started putting my book research together, <clears throat> excuse me, Dave, I, I, I thought about this question a great deal. And I thought, well, if I just start talking about portfolio management and the possibilities and, and the probabilities of portfolio management, one, a lot of people are going to automatically default to project portfolio and go, yeah, 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 or no, 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 no. Uh, two, um, the whole conversation and the and the suggestions and ideas would get stuck in that middle management layers again because of the context of of project portfolio. So I scratched my head a bit more and I came up with this value management sort of context. And 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 as I kind of designed that, I, I began then to form some views on what value is. And my research kind of threw up value analysis from, you know, a technique has been around manufacturing since the 1940s, 1950s. Uh, value engineering, which has been in the engineering construction sector, part of my early career was in there uh, since the 1960s. Um, I couldn't actually find a robust enough uh, example or definition on value management. I saw a lot of people offering definitions, but really when I, I looked at them and read them a few times, it was really... Uh, just value uh, value engineering, 
okay. and, uh, and, and, you know, re rebridged. So <clears throat> to me, value sort of comes back to um, not just money. And, and here's the Scotsman saying it's not just about money. So, you know, I'm kind of almost contradicting my uh, heritage. Yeah? <laughs> uh, but to me, I think value sort of uh, manifests itself in four dimensions or four aspects, if you like. And, and one is value for customers. Uh, two is value for staff and brand. Three is some sort of form of strategic value. And, and fourth, obviously, is financial value, uh, money, of course. Uh, to me, it's, it's a combination of those four looked at from a quadrant point of view. And, and when I mentioned the continuum to success, I think, depending on whether you're on the left-hand side or right-hand side of halfway in those on that continuum, you're looking to... Uh, drive, you know, more value to customers or more value to staff and brand or, or you know, one or more strategic steps towards a strategic goal. Uh, or you just want more cash and you're trying to get, uh, you know, a higher profitability on products and services or uh, a better uh, return uh, in a non-profit environment, a better return on investments made. So whatever it is, you know, that's a kind of guiding principle. But then I thought further, Dave, and I thought, well, okay, those four value themes, that actually forms or can form the basis of running a business. And I thought, you know what, got to take that further. So then I kind of referred to some learnings that I'd been privileged to some years ago when I uh, went through an Institute of Directors uh, certification uh, as a, a corporate director. Um, and then I got introduced to the term inherent value and added value. And I thought, oh, I like those. So inherent value is let's not make sure that we stuff up what we are good at today. In other words, we, we're doing stuff today. We have products and or services that contribute to our organization well-being. Let's make sure that we protect those, uh, assuming that they remain relevant, of course, um, that we continue to you know, deliver those in, in, in a manner that's efficient and profitable, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. The added value is, as the term sounds, is looking to you know, perhaps add a service to a product or a product to a service, for example, that allows you to you know, satisfy a customer or excite a customer a little bit more. Um, or you know, uh, in, uh, encourage and promote the brand, one's brand, whatever the organization brand might be in some manner. So that's kind of added. But then I thought, you know what, there's a bit more than that. So what about innovation? So if we look towards the VUCA world, I think all of us are probably going to have to innovate a fair bit more than we've perhaps done in the past. Uh, so I picked that. So innovation, okay, that's different than added. Um, and I thought, yeah, I like the sound of that. Uh, so added is you know, adding product or service to an existing inherent value, innovation is new and it could be gained by, you know, development of IP. It could be gained by research and development. It could be gained by merger and acquisition, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then I also took one step further and uh, uh, I introduced the concept of now value, N-O-W, now uh, from a timing point of view, and people sort of said to me, well, that's not a value. That's that's a time-based thing. And I said, ah, but in the VUCA world, I think short-term um, delivery and focus around delivery times actually is going to allow us to contribute value or deliver value much perhaps quicker than we've done in the past. So I, I kind of felt comfortable, as I said, one of the voices in my head, Dave, um, said, let's, let's pick inherent added, innovative, and now 
as four value types. And if you take the first letter of each of those, then you get the acronym of Ian, which is the way I spell my name. Ah. Um, so it was very <laughs> cunning, actually. Makes it easy to remember, too. <laughs> well, indeed, that's right. <laughs> so um, there, there's kind of my philosophy on, on value, Dave. And, so do you and, score and these things relatively against each other? I mean, how do you, how do you quantify them? That, and now that's an excellent question, too, because um, I think, yes, you can. And, and, and that's where I think portfolio management begins to feed into and link into value and okay. value management. So if you begin to put your strategy together, you, you know, five or six strategic goals um, that form, you know, vision of, of your organization, and then you uh, break those down into whatever number of business objectives. Then I think as we break those down, that 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 notion of value and that four, four quadrants of value allow you then to begin to say, well, look, we're going to be a bit more aggressive in our strategy or a bit more uh, defensive or a bit more, you know, whatever, competitive or a bit more conservative, you know, depending on one's view of strategy in the boardroom and the executive table. So whatever it is, then you can be and say, well, look, we want to drive merger acquisition. We want to drive efficiency or we want to drive whatever, whatever. That then forms the basic uh, um, or the initial decision making, which begins to form, uh, you know, probable content for portfolios across both CAPEX and OPEX. Then some of those portfolio management tools, which are ranking tools and scoring tools, kick in. Um, and begin to, you know, prioritize, you know, a, a, a rough list, as it were, of, of things that can be delivering value. Uh, so to me, the value quadrant and the value types guide a conversation or a series of conversations in the boardroom, at the executive table, uh, perhaps elsewhere. And then from that, you know, the beginnings of some sort of desired listing pop out um, that uh, can be grouped together in some way to form goals uh, that can be grouped together again to begin to populate, uh, as I said, listings for portfolios, which then can be you know, assessed and prioritised and selected in terms of are we delivering more of the right things. Okay, so okay. That, that's hopefully makes sense in terms yeah. of how it connects. Um, if they're not the, if they're not sorted out, is this something that gets um, facilitated by somebody like at a portfolio office level or I would I make a strong argument that somebody in an enterprise PMO enterprise okay. uh, portfolio management office uh, yep that staffed with the right caliber of people um, could actually make significant contributions towards the uh, in the performance well-being of an organization by you know facilitating those conversations um, uh, helping the organization have those conversations recording you know the, the the outputs and then beginning to bring that down through the process of portfolio planning uh, value planning slash portfolio planning if you prefer and then obviously onwards into programs of work for for delivery purposes and and then breaking those down into uh, you know operational staff within a program of work um, but also projects within those same programs of work as well, okay. uh, which are the delivery mechanisms, of course. You know, and then we hook up the back end with, you know, benefits realization types of uh, processes so that then allow us to confirm that value has been captured, 
and then that feeds, <coughs> excuse me, that feeds all the way back, Dave, to uh, you know the the, the next uh, strategic conversation whenever that's held. Yeah. In terms of you know how how are we doing? Have we achieved? Etc. So look, I, I think EPMOs, uh, perhaps even PMOs, have a tremendous opportunity. I think to embrace that kind of thinking and really help the organisation, each organisation, you know. Um, uh, move forward, you know, because what I what I find in my travels, my my day to day dealings with with business leaders, an awful lot of them are very frightened of the portfolio and 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 program management and project management profession because they understand the the the, the importance and value it can offer, but they actually see it and view it as a, a mid level. Uh, set of business processes, you know, yeah. that are kind of rule bound and and a bit kind of a bit odd in some cases, and and look, you know, going back to the agile kind of yeah, they're like a know. dead man walking. Well, but also or they could this, be like a dead man walking. Well, it could be, but it also has this geeky language that you yeah know, nobody's really interested in at a business leader level. Um, nobody's really interested. So the geeky language, you know, people, if they don't understand it, they'll ignore it. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's a human trait, isn't it not? And if you get business leaders ignoring it, then it's going to stay down in the middle management layers and just, you know, create an awful lot of chaos and noise and, and perhaps not achieve anything in substance towards the organizational well-being. So, you know, I think, Dave, again, that goes back to, you know, it's not a conversation about waterfall versus agile. Um, it's more a conversation about, you know, um, how can the P3M profession, portfolio program and project management profession, deliver and contribute towards uh, value delivery in, in one or more quadrants towards um, our organizational strategic goals? I think that's the conversation to kind of start having. Huh? Yeah, I think it's the one that gets gets me out of bed in the mornings anyway. Well, I like <laughs> the way that you described it as they have an opportunity to help, and and to me that's that's the big thing is if if those offices can see themselves as an enabler, as yeah. opposed to controlling and squeezing it down and forcing everyone to follow the same process, then mm -hmm. that's when they become destructive. Yeah, look, and you know, I think we've you probably like me and many others, and probably a lot of the listeners too have seen you know the the, the periods where PMOs got a lot of bad rap. I think, and rightly so, because they 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 took a very compliance rich approach to, towards um, you know what they should be doing by introducing you know detailed uh, methodologies and and techniques and detailed. Templates and uh, et cetera, et cetera, and 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 whilst I, th I think we all get that, I think what those same people didn't do was realise, okay, well we've stabilised the organisation, we've got a bit of commonality, now what's next? Let's focus up and, and look at the next bigger thing. I think PMOs didn't really move in that direction, and yeah. uh, and I think very quickly got a little bit out of date in terms of the relevance that they were and, and, and the relevance and value of service they were providing and hence they started getting a bit of a bad rap. Um, so I think we've seen all of that and, and, and a lot of it was justified. Perhaps some of it wasn't, but I think a lot of it was justified because, you know, the PMOs or EPMOs just didn't move in, in the manner that they should have done. Perhaps they didn't have the right levels of leadership or capability that, that allowed them to move. Um, but now I think I'm certainly beginning to see, um, you know, PMO leaders, you know, really quite excited about 
um, you know, the potential of, of really contributing at a much higher level towards their organizations by looking at a value management framework and, and um, you know, a slightly higher level of portfolio management than, than one that we see most commonly talked about here. Yeah. So that, yeah. those are good things, you know. Cool. All right. So mm. I, can I ask you one more question? I, I don't want to take up too much of your Friday night. But of course. I, of one course. One more question. Yeah. What is the area or is there an area kind of in the workspace that you feel like project management hasn't gotten to yet that it needs to start to focus on? Wow, interesting question. You know, we've we've maybe, um, you know, we've maybe touched and hinted at a few things, Dave. Uh, to me, I think we're, uh, as a profession, and, and we have to look at this kind of very globally, I suppose, as a profession, I think we're, um, we, we collect, we, um, we've got very good at creating practice guides, standards, and, and such like, um, almost to the point where there's different views around the world of what a standard is and what a guide is and, and, and different views as to what the content should be. So even within the profession globally, there's a little bit of um, you know conflict and perhaps disagreement on, on, on what good looks like. So that's not necessarily a great thing. To me, the big opportunity is... One recognized two things, two parts of this. One is recognizing that portfolio management is very, very different from program of work and project management. Um, portfolio is at the level uh, and, and should be at the level. Uh, and, and if you like the, um, you know, the very basic, this is how we do business definition I use, then the opportunities start to open up in terms of contributing at a higher level. To me, I think the organizations that, you know, purport to, supporting portfolio program and project management, I think need to start advocating much more that portfolio is different, it's higher, and therefore then uh, operates at a much deeper and, and more contributing level. I think if, if that starts happening, Dave, then I think we could see the profession that we love and dear so much really stepping up from, and, and let me use a medical analogy, and this, I'm just gonna make this up, so this may or may not work. But if, if and, and this is no disrespect to anybody who, any professionals that might be in the, the medical profession, but at some point, a nurse might want to become a junior doctor or a junior doctor want to become a senior doctor. And that senior doctor in time want to become a, uh, you know, medical consultant who specializes, he or she specializes in X, Y, or Z. Right. Um, I, I think if you take that analogy, and apply it back into um, the P3M profession, I think we're, we're, we're still kind of having junior doctor conversations where we kind of think that project program of work and portfolio are kind of like variations of the same thing. Um, we're still kind of junior doctors when we get trapped in these conversations about waterfall and agile and waterfall versus agile and one masquerading for the other, and, or not, not masquerading, but one advocating for one and the other advocating for the other. Um, you know, I, I, I think that discussion will come and go, a bit like the discussion of critical path method versus critical chain method. But it's almost kind of sophomoric. Well, well, indeed, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think, again, you know, going back to the analogy, um, if we go from a junior doctor thinking conversations to a senior doctor leading on towards consultancy, to me, I think the consultancy is where the portfolio management should be. Um, program of work is the senior doctor. And yes, there'll always be project management for the junior doctors. Yeah. You know, um, 
I think that's, you know, kind of like a hierarchy. I, I don't know how well that's coming through and how well people might understand that. No, Dave, we need but, a maturation um, of kind of the way that we're looking at the work and the way that we're understanding the work and the way that we're mm -hmm, engaging with the mm -hmm. work. And, and that's something that a lot of people, in the same way that you don't start out by seeing project management as an art, you probably don't see the portfolio things. A lot of people don't see them the way you're seeing them yet if they're still coming up in their career. Look, I, I think that's true. I, I think, and, and and again, you know, if I if I may go full circle, you know, I, I kind of had these ideas in my head. I've written a few things over the years in terms of white papers, and I, I, I had the opportunity to to put some time and thinking into writing the business book, which I did. And you know, those kind of thoughts are, are articulated uh, in that business book, Dave. You know, and uh, so far, you know, I'm getting very good feedback on the book. People are. Um, uh, offering, you know, particularly positive uh, commentary on it. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm very grateful for it was PMI who actually um, uh, published it uh, on, on, on my behalf, which I'm very grateful for, actually. Cool. And so they can get the business of portfolio management, uh, obviously through PMI, but also through like Amazon or Barnes and Noble or pretty yep. much anywhere books are sold. Absolutely. Um, so Amazon, PMI, Fishpond is another um, okay. one of those online retailers that actually has some really good reviews in there. Oh, cool. Uh, I'm sure to put a link to it. Yeah, thank you. Um, so pretty much it's available pretty much anywhere. Um, okay. So it, it's a good read. All right. And if, <laughs> I would if have to say that. <laughs> if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? If they have follow-up questions or they want you to come and speak? Yeah, or... look. Thanks, Dave. Um, I, I think, uh, first of all, check me out on LinkedIn. Uh, okay. I tend to use LinkedIn as the uh, social media of choice. It's the only social media I use, actually, uh, other than projectmanagement.com that I use uh, quite a bit, too, or starting to use quite a bit. But check me out on LinkedIn. Uh, failing that, send me an email to um, uh, Fraser at jacobite.co.nz. And there's some spelling aspects associated with that. So maybe you could publish I that. I will be happy to include the link, yes. <laughs> Those two things, if people want to you know, ask me a question or, or have a chat about um, okay. something. Yeah, those, those would be fantastic. Thank Great. you. Great. And are there any events you have coming up where they could go and see you speak? Yeah, well, look, I, I just came back from keynoting a business conference in the Philippines and, and also um, addressing uh, an executive breakfast uh, where um, a group of very senior business executives had gathered uh, in the Philippines also. I just came back from that just two weeks ago. Next, next uh, month, uh, I'm in Denmark delivering an address to uh, the good folks at PMI Denmark. Uh, then I've got to do something in, in Sweden a little bit later after that. Um, I will be in Los Angeles in the USA at the Global Congress, and there I'm running a workshop on business change management. Oh, um, great. So if people are interested in business change, then there's an opportunity to uh, check that out and, and sign up for that. Uh, and then I, uh, it's not confirmed, but there's a possibility of maybe doing something in the UK um, later in the year as well. Cool. So um, details uh, and confirmed at this point. But um, um, yeah, so, you know, enough to keep me out of trouble, Dave. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll make sure to include links to all of it. Ian, thank you very much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. It was great Dave, catching thanks. up to you.
Likewise, look, and thanks so much for, for reaching out. Uh, really good, actually, uh, and, and great questions. And, oh, and thank you for the opportunity <laughs> you. to share some thoughts and ideas with you. Yeah. Well, thanks. And so make sure to check out the book. And, uh, and that's it. So have a great weekend and good luck. Since I know you're in Sweden right now, good luck with the rest of the uh, competition. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Steve. Cheers.